Hello, and welcome to Rise of the Data Cloud. This episode features an interview with Mani Gopalakrishnan, VP of Digital Transformation at Kraft Heinz. Prior to Kraft Heinz, Money has held leadership positions at Deloitte and GE. In this episode, Money talks about turning technical skills into commodities, how to digitally transform your company, and much more. So please enjoy this conversation between Money Gopalakrishnan, VP of Digital Transformation at Kraft Heinz, and your host, Steve Ham. So Manny, it's good to have you on the podcast, and it's particularly pleasant for me because I'm from Pittsburgh and we got Heinz. So it was a big part of my childhood, not just for snack foods and ketchup, but the Steelers and things like that. So it's, it's an important landmark in my life. Our listeners are familiar with many of the Kraft Heinz brands, starting with mac and cheese, the ketchup, all those kinds of things, but they may not have a broader understanding of the company. So if you'd start by describing the main dimensions of the business. Look, uh, Steve, nice to meet you. Our purpose is to make life delicious. Very simply stated, our business is all about bringing delicious food to people via a variety of channels, such as retail stores or e-commerce. And think about this as wherever you want to buy the food, we want to be there. And the most important dimension of our business is we put our heart and soul into making these delicious food products. And you can see that manifest in the form of iconic products like Heinz, ketchup, Kraft mac and cheese, Philadelphia cream cheese, Lunchable snacks, and a lot more of them. And again, we're very proud of our purpose uh, of making people's life delicious. Yeah. Now, so many companies have launched internal transformation projects in recent years. Often it, it involves a combination of things, IT, data, business models, and even cultural changes. Why do you think this is happening? I think if you take a step back, the digital transformation journey began maybe two, three years ago, and almost every company got down on this path uh, knowing that they had to harness the power of data and technology to bring productivity to their businesses or bring growth to their businesses. But something called COVID happened in 2020. And in many ways, it accelerated the transformation journey by roughly four to five years. I vividly remember sitting down with some of our customers and having a conversation where it is, yeah, this is a three-year target, four-year target, and two weeks in, it would be almost two weeks since the lockdown began. It would be almost like we've very well blown past those metrics that we thought we would hit in four years on, on digital adoption. And so that's one of the reasons many companies that have, that had already started on this journey are beginning to continue Um, to accelerate this journey. For us, in September last year, we outlined a plan for our future as a company. We launched a new operating model, vision and values, and set forth a bold transformation agenda. The end goal is to create an agile, consumer-driven culture within the company. We believe this, combined with our scale, will be the secret sauce to win in the marketplace. But bring that journey, right, requires us to learn new skills, build new mindsets, bring in new talent, establish new ways of working, and more. We, this is not an evolution, it's a revolution. We call this the digital revolution. And we view this digital revolution as a catalyst and a key enabler of our transformation journey. We've set ourselves an ambitious goal of being a digitally powered agile enterprise by 2025. Yeah. So... 
you know, often companies kind of like say, oh, they're going to have a technology transformation or they say, oh, they're going to have a cultural transformation or they're going to have business model transformation. But basically, with your company, it's all wound up into one thing. And that, I think you said, digitally powered, agile enterprise by 2025. If you could describe a little bit more about the initiative, what are the steps and what's your role in it? Yeah, look, I think when people start Almost everyone starts with one aspect of the transformation and invariably recognizes that this is all intertwined together. I think I'd like to zoom out a little bit and give an analog in the real world, right? If you think about the 90s or the 2000s, most of the people printed out maps and it required two people probably to navigate in a car, right? One person who's driving, looking at the exits and the other person reading out, take right here, take left here many ways, most of the traditional companies are there, right? They have a lot of content, a lot of information sitting in Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoints, and Word documents. In essence, they have digitized uh, their businesses, but still the decision-making begins to happen in a way like two or three people get in a room and figure out where they need to go. That's kind of the, that's what I call as the digitized enterprise. Take that leap forward and today, right? I put in the destination, I sit in my car and I'm driving. And as if I veer off of my lane, there's a little beep. If there is someone at the back, the, the system is giving me insights and steering me in a certain direction. I call this the concept of augmented intelligence and augmented enterprises. But take that even forward. We're beginning to see the emergence of autonomous cars, right? Where the cars are doing bulk of the work for you and you're probably sitting behind the the steering and acting on it when you really need to act. This I call the autonomous enterprise. And in a way, this is where the the world is going in five, 10 years and we all have our starting point. For us, as we think about where we are and how do we prepare for that journey, it starts today. We're putting all the core tenants into place now. It began by first identifying all the business challenges and a hypothesis of how we will solve them and the value that it will unlock. So while we are doing transformation, we're still focused on the business value. This gave us our strategy, essentially. We're now actively recruiting new talent base for the company, such as data scientists, machine learning engineers, UX designers, full stack developers, scaled agile experts, and more. And we're putting together several enterprise-wide learning programs, such as design thinking, to upskill our entire talent. We want to crawl, walk, and run in this journey and, and make this transformation be so successful that it becomes the benchmark of how other companies need to transform themselves. My role in the company is to lead the U.S. digital factory that is solely focused on bringing this revolution into the company. No, I think that's that's quite a big vision and very impressive. This episode is brought to you by Snowflake. Join 50,000 of your peers at Snowflake's annual global user conference, Snowflake Summit, this June 8th through 10th. Hear from Snowflake customers, industry thought leaders, and more about how they bring data together now with the data cloud. Learn more and register at snowflake.com slash summit. You know, you mentioned the augmented enterprise, and I think a key part of the augmented enterprise 
is augmented intelligence. And, and when people talk about that, they're usually talking about combining the collective intelligence of humans with AI. And really, so you can have the best of what humans can bring and the best of what the AI can bring and come up with you know, like solutions that neither could do as well on their own. If you could talk about how you're using AI along with the human intelligence in your organization, I think that would be really helpful. Yeah. Look, when you unleash the collective intellects of humans against a challenge and empower them, magic begins to happen. We are in the early days of our transformation journey, and I already sliver, see a sliver. I already see a sliver of that augmented intelligence at play. Yeah. Uh, for example, our data scientists working alongside our functional leads in supply chain identified various key challenges that we needed to solve for. One of them was how do we better predict our inventory threshold, uh, inventory recovery dates and thresholds and improve our, our service delivery to our customers, in our case, being the retail partners. The team basically ingested the lot of retail data that we get. We also ingested a lot of data that we already have in as a company and began to say what elements of that data can help us better predict our inventory recovery and how we should update our safety stocks so that we could improve our service delivery. And then we brought in the data scientist to say, how do we solve for this problem? And the data scientist looked at it and said, here are three different models. They ran three different models and, and, and triangulated data and the predictions across these three different models and, and came back and gave us very specific guidance on, on what we needed to do. Now, the functional lead took that information, went ahead and tested it on one particular SKU and was able to prove that this actually works. You can take the data, you can run a different models on the data, and you can create an insight that insight can then be applied to improve a solve for a specific business problem. And look, the, the momentous thing about this particular example, and it's near and dear to me, is we did this in about eight to 10 weeks. Nobody asked the team to solve for it this way. But when we empowered them to think about these things differently, this is what they came up with, right? Now we're training the machine to work alongside us and get better with such prediction. And, and we are now looking at what is that accuracy of that model, and we're trying to improve it. As the model, as we ingest more data, the, the accuracy of that model is going to improve and it's going to help us make decisions. Yeah. And even better, it can make the decision for us at some point where it actually alerts the person saying, hey, there's a problem here. You have to go solve for it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's it really becomes interactive then. And I think that's a lot of powers there. Earlier in your career, I know you did a lot of work in corporate education programs. And do you see these taking on even more importance in the era of cloud and COVID? Of course. There are enough stories about technology-powered companies making traditional companies obsolete. We seldom talk about the, the people and the culture that kind of failed to foresee that, right? The difference in most of these cases is the ability to learn continuously and a culture to adapt to the changes that are happening in the world. Quick anecdote, in 1999, when I first wrote my 
the first piece of code that I ever wrote and I got paid was to create learning programs that streamed over a 56.6 kbps modem. Mm. Right? So that's what I wrote in 1999. But today, the, the last learning platform I created took all the content from the world and personalized it for people based on their skills. It was a kind of Amazon meets Facebook for learning content. Look, from that journey to this journey, there's plethora of content that's available there. And inbuilt in that story is my personal journey as a guy who started figuring out how to make multi multimedia work on internet to a guy who had to adapt and learn how natural language processing could help us better personalize content for people, how AI and data science can help better contextualize learning for that people. But look, that is a very specific example. And it's a powerful example for me to say that's happening in every single domain. Take marketing. Um, it's getting more, it's about more personalized marketing. And the way we do marketing is changed. It's no more a game of how good my creative is. It's a game of my Google SEO keywords and how those keywords begin to work. And that kind of spawns into a whole level of skill set that people need to learn. Take our supply chain example. It is not about me looking at mounds and mounds of spreadsheets and making decisions. It's about training my system to help make the decision for me or give me the alert. All of that is completely different skill sets that people need to build. Even that skill sets are rapidly changing. And I, I always say this, right? Every skill starts out being niche and then it slowly becomes a commodity. And then you will begin to see a new niche skill evolve that is niche and it begins to be, become a commodity. If humans don't stay ahead of that curve, they are first going to become commodity and then they're going to date themselves out. Learning is the single largest thing that's going to keep humanity alive and help people earn their livelihood for a long time to come. Yeah, I think that will be key because if you don't change, you're going to be you might be swept aside by modern technologies. That's absolutely sure. You know, it's interesting to me when I think about corporate education and and these transformation projects that we've talked about. The it's the most successful companies that sometimes have the hardest times changing because their success is so ingrained into the the business processes and the culture and just the whole mindset of the company. So how do you take even though this isn't your job, I understand, but how do you deal with a company like Kraft Heinz, which is so successful, so dominant in so many markets? How do you change the mindsets and the culture in a place like that? And, and specifically in the IT part? Yeah, look, I think, so first and foremost, we are blessed with the leadership that recognizes the need to change. Mm -hmm. And to me, that makes the entire conversation easy. I wouldn't right. say easier, yeah. makes it easy. The, then comes the next part, which is how do you rally the entire employee base to recognize that? The good part of that is we are living in a world where we actually don't need to do much. The system itself is pushing everybody to, to understand, empathize, and change. So to me, like I look at it and say there are 
change agents and change uh, instigators everywhere in the industry, within the company, within our leadership, and all of us are playing a pivotal role uh, in pushing each other to get to a better outcome. As it, and, and, and part of that is also how we evolve our IT. The way I think about this, and again, I, I like to see, I like to draw analogs if you haven't already caught on to that. Uh, in the 1990s, when Microsoft Word came along, right, and Microsoft Excel came along, and the vision to put uh, a desk, a computer in every desk began to come to life, the, the power of content got democratized. Right. Now in companies, just about everybody can create content. Where is that journey taking us in the next level? Like you take that journey to the next, you've got low code, no code, and full code apps. Almost everybody can become an app developer. Right, right. How does IT think about its transformation in this particular scenario? I mean, nobody needs to push anyone here. The system is pushing everyone to work differently. Right. And so I do think that bringing something to something like this to life requires leadership buy-in and, and recognition, which we have. We need smart talent who understands the vulnerability and the need to change, which we have. We have the system that is, and when I say systems, not tech system, but the overall processes that needs to push each other to evolve and change. If all of those things are in place, what's then needed is the focus. And that focus is what we as a company are putting through this digital revolution to accelerate our transformation. Now, one of the great enablers of this kind of transformation, both the corporate and the IT, is the rise of the data cloud. And so I wanted to drill down a little bit with you and if you could tell the story of your of the company's data cloud journey. When did that start and why? Yeah, look, a lot of my colleagues have played a pivotal role in helping us um, get set up here. The, the journey actually started in summer of 2019. It started with the broader transformation of our moment from on-prem to cloud. And, and that's how it got started. And while we looked at everything that we need to transform into the cloud, one of the big elements was data. And we began our journey towards the data cloud transformation in about 2019, summer mm -hmm. of 2019. Okay. And specifically Snowflake, what's the role of Snowflake technology in your data cloud strategy and how are you using it? And what benefits are you getting? Yeah, Snowflake is our company-wide data repository or data warehouse. We have built several pipelines and now have migrated trillions of records into Snowflake. From there, we're beginning to generate the intelligence needed to run our business. We've also tapped into Snowflake's data marketplace to accelerate our needs. And the real benefit here is agility, right? The speed with which we can move volumes of data, structure them, build intelligence and democratize data-driven decision-making, that is so fundamental to become an intelligent enterprise. And, and Snowflake is that intelligence enabler for us in this journey. Yeah. Now, I know there are a couple of key elements of Snowflake's technologies or attributes that are important to you. One, I understand, is cloud independence. Tell us about that. We were going to be putting all our data into Snowflake. 
And one of the things we wanted to make sure was we stayed independent of a very specific cloud provider. There are many reasons for it, right? One is just the business prudence of it is is the starting point. So we looked at Snowflake and said, look, it can run on Google, it can run on Azure, it can run on AWS. And we had the flexibility to move the Snowflake environment should we ever need to switch our cloud provider. And I hope that's not the case. However, uh, we needed that freedom and that empowerment so that we were not saddled with a provider for something as strategic as data. So it becomes a very important concept for us. Yeah, they could put really have some leverage over you. But if you're independent and or even multi-cloud and you can and you're flexible, you can really you call the shots basically, right? Yeah, yeah. And and it's less about calling the shots, I believe. It's more about de-risking from a technology standpoint, the investments and having the prudence and moving towards more of a multi-cloud, hybrid cloud-like environment. But again, the starting point needs to be cloud independence. Yeah, yeah. Now, the Snowflake's decision to separate storage and compute was one of the first decisions they made. And my God, it turned out to be very strategic. And I understand that this is one of the things that's valuable for you. So if you could talk about why is that so important to you? Yeah, if, we, if I go back again to earlier parts of life, right, one of the never-ending discussions that we would have when we were building software is how much volume of data is coming, how many transactions are you going to put in, and how do the database locks work? This is the kind of discussions that at least I grew up on in my early career. But when I look at the separation of storage and compute, I, I sit here and say, why wasn't this the case when some of the other databases were built earlier on, right? And I give you an example of how this helped us. We had to migrate half a trillion records from another large data warehouse into Snowflake. And we were able to accomplish that roughly in two sprints, less than four weeks. Because the compute and storage were separate, we were able to scale up and scale down the compute on an as-needed basis and push all this data into the other system, into the Snowflake system, without having to overtly worry about the, the performance implication. So, so that, that's one place where it actually helped us and it continues to help us. And every time we need to amp up compute and amp down compute, we're able to make sure that we're not degrading the performance of the storage side of the house. Yeah, yeah. I know that another main attribute of the data cloud is the ability to share data much more easily, either within an organization or between organizations or even getting data from third parties. And I understand that you're looking at the Snowflake data marketplace as a strategic element of of your strategy. So it'd be great if you could talk about that as well. And look, the way I look at it is data marketplace is probably one of the smartest moves and smartest movements that's occurring in the industry. Tactically, the way I I look at it is there's commodity data, right? It's your econometrics data, weather data, and other such data. In the absence of a marketplace would have been probably a few sprints of work from a data engineer to make sure that the the data pipelines appropriately, 
the it was sized for the right load and so on and so forth but with the data marketplace it's a click and a credit card away just go in and put a click and and get the data in very similarly the we the, this concept can be extended to a lot of first second third data party and how do we bring all of that um, in-house, uh, how do we automate all of that? So our focus is really not on the plumbing, but on the inside generation. And, and data marketplace helps us do this in a powerful way. And I will actually go as far as saying that a lot of our, and I like to call this with all due respect, dumpster fire challenges happen when a data marketplace doesn't exist. And in those integration points is where we have a lot more challenges. So a dumpster fire is when you need to integrate data quickly, but you don't already have the pipelines ready. Right. You can't integrate it. But if you have the marketplace, it's already all the pipes are there and available and all the data is there and available. Yeah. I think there are a couple of levels of double clicks onto it, right? The first double click would be what you just said. I need a data really quickly and this data is easily available, but I can't get it into my environment because now I have to do a security review and I now need to do the pipeline building. I need to now size up the performance. I then need to clean up the data. I then need to bring it up into my Snowflake environment and then I need to profile it. That's one uh, level of data, man. It's just tiring to say it. Imagine putting the people to work on easy commodity data that should be available. The second level of problem there is all of the integration points. Not every company is sophisticated and they're all working on getting there, but it's just a grind, right? When we get data, sometimes it's in a spreadsheet. Sometimes it's on a portal that you need to log in and, and grab the data. And sometimes you have to write a, a robotic process to log in and pick up the data on a certain date and time. And now you need to set up monitoring for this robotic process. Then you need to set up monitoring to make sure the data is actually there and that particular portal is not down. This mode of complicated data exchanges right. needs a permanent solve and data marketplace can actually help alleviate a lot of those problems. Yeah. Hey, do you find that you're just using a lot more third-party data? I can get much more of that contextual information than in the past just because it's available on the marketplace? Yes. We're using a lot of data from the data marketplace for sure. However, there are still a few things that we as a community need to solve for. The first problem is la overall lack of that ecosystem maturity, which is the data interchange standards. Give you an example of how data is exchanged across a variety of different formats. And each format requires a specialized approach on how you monitor and make sure the data comes in. The second thing is the mindset. It took a long time for humanity to understand is we live in this complicated intertwined economy where all of us win together. Mm -hmm. And if even one part of that doesn't work well, it impacts the other. And we're in the same place with data. Holding information is power for sure, but sharing it makes you more powerful because now you are not only getting the value of your the data generated in your ecosystem, 
but you're also getting value out of the data generated in the other ecosystem. And so we somehow need to get over that mindset and how that manifests itself is in this complicated terms and conditions of what you can do and not do with the data you get. And sometimes I feel like the food's on the table, but you can't heat it because of a contractual term and condition of how the data was agreed upon. So while the data marketplace is a great first revolutionary step to solve for this problem, there are other things around the ecosystem that needs to mature for this to work in a more effective way. And we're all getting there. And I guess the first stepping stone is the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Now, whenever people are talking about IT and changes and new technologies, they always want to hear about the metrics, the numbers, prove it really worked or show us that kind of thing. So it would be great if you could talk about in a quantitative way, how Snowflake has helped you. Yeah, we decommissioned our on-prem data lakes in nine months. We, we moved in that journey, which otherwise would take probably multiple years in, in nine months. We have 500 terabytes of data and growing, and mind you, we're continuing to pipe streaming data into Snowflake. And by the time we finish this podcast, and by the time it's probably published, that number might have shifted. Right. And as I said, the Snowflake's ability to separate compute and storage helped us migrate half a trillion records in roughly two sprints. Two sprints of about four weeks. That's really incredible. No, the, the speed with which people can get stuff done these days is just remarkable when you think about it. I covered, when I was at Business Week, I covered enterprise software and enterprise hardware in like the mid 90s. And man, people spent years putting together an SAP program uh, corporate-wide and hundreds of millions of dollars, but things have changed dramatically. And uh, I think a lot of it's due to the cloud. Now, Kraft Heinz sells its products primarily through its customers, which is retailers and distributors, in order to reach the end customer. So how does the data cloud help you share information with your business partners so you can better meet the needs of consumers and and manage inventories, both the business end and and the demand end. Yeah, I break this data down into multiple different facets. First is commodity data. That's right now a click away with uh, Snowflake. I, I don't have to sweat bringing in weather data, econometrics data, and other such information that I need to augment for my day-to-day research or day-to-day models and so on and so forth. So that, that I think has been drastically simplified. We have partnership with a lot of our retailers where we do receive data from them. And that data is a mix of custom data pipelines and a mix of potentially marketplace. So we're continuing. That's one area where we would love to see a more industry-wide partnership to automate and, and make this process simple because all of us can collectively win in this ecosystem. And then we continue to augment a lot of third-party data into the system. And that third-party data is still not easy. And that probably needs to organize itself around the marketplace before we, we make it becomes easy for us along the way. So I think that's almost all about data ingestion. Internally, for us to distribute the data, Snowflake is help 
us in that distribution in a very unique way in the sense that we're able to now take the big data, the macro data, and create a unique data architecture where we can send the small snippets of data to various business units. We launched a learning program, a few colleagues of mine launched a learning program called Zenith, where they train these citizen developers who can create insights out of that data and then accelerate, help businesses accelerate decision-making. Now, all of this would not have been possible without some of the data cloud infrastructure. So that's how we, we begin to see the power of data cloud help us with exchange, scalability, and distribution of content. Now, your company is going through a major transformation, and actually within it, there are sub-transformations. And from a previous conversation we had, you referred to one of these by the highly technical term of consumer obsession. So, rather, I, and the way I understand this is, rather than focusing mainly on marketing your individual brands, you're seeking to understand the shifting consumer tastes and demands and you're developing new products or evolving existing products to meet them. If you could, talk about how data helps you do that. At the heart of this is us creating a thorough understanding of our consumers. We're living in this interesting time where we have a lot of data and with that data comes a great responsibility. We take our consumer data anonymized and do aggregate analysis on that particular data. So I may not know that Joe down the street brought our ketchup, but I would know that people in Chicago, Illinois area with such a demographic brought such and such product. That could be our product our consumer, or our competitor's product. We are also able to decompose the ingredient levels in our products. And we are able to not only use that for building enterprise cost drivers, but also help our research and development teams to, on how to think about creating new products. So we're able to bring in Consumer 360 to life by not only our own data, but also working with several partners and bring it to life in a very anonymized and aggregate way. We are also, and I may use this word more generously, called Competitor 360, which is where we are looking at our products, decomposing our products, and then matching it up against our competitor products and saying where and how we can continuously improve our products. And then maybe I will take that even further and say Insights 360 and how we're able to glean everything that's publicly available and identify the demand landscape and the trends even before they are here. Now, all of that are in various stages of maturity in the journey as we speak. And at least the consumer 360 journey that we have started and accelerated gives me confidence and hope that we can help, we can create a data platform that can help the entire company be more consumer obsessed. Right, that makes total sense. I see the future. Fascinating modern age we live in. Is this what the future holds? Manny, I'm going to ask you to put on your visionary cap for a minute now. So looking out five years or so, what are the big changes that are coming in the data cloud 
And how will that help transform business and even society? When I put my five-year hat, I'm going to be a little bit more pragmatic here and say the first and foremost that's going to happen is this maturation of data marketplace concept. Everything begins to go into a data marketplace and the data interchange is going to become more seamless. We as a society, we as human beings, and we as companies will begin to understand what data can be shared for good and what data should not be shared to prevent any privacy uh, violation. So I see that coming into play in the next five years. I also see the concept of data networks coming into play. So the first step is data marketplaces, but once these marketplaces are live and kicking, we would probably now have a better understanding of how the, the inherent connections between data across these marketplaces and we're able to bring a a network to it. So I'm able to easily string my inventory data to my sales data, to my consumer data, to my procurement data. And I'm able to create an enterprise that is completely run by data. And I see that happening in the next uh, five years or so. There are implications. The implications for that is data has to go from being something that's guarded in a company to becoming a a robust platform and becoming a service. So the usage of that can be democratized. Right now, data science is a much sought after skill. In five years, it's likely to become a commodity. And that doesn't mean that we won't need data scientists, but a lot of the models that nowadays takes a lot of programming time will probably become commodity and there'll be like more advanced things that the data scientists might have to build. Coming out of that, I see tech democratization. This entire no code, low code, full code concept is likely to turn a lot more citizen app developers in the company. Just like how everybody can create, say, Microsoft PowerPoint or Word documents, people will be able to create their own apps. And that's going to then generate more data. And now we are beginning to see a huge flywheel in effect. And all of this is going to have a huge impact of how companies are organized, how companies work together, how people in the company work together, what kind of skill sets are needed how IT needs to transform itself, how businesses need to build their strategy. I see a huge shakeup in the making, partly driven by the trends that I just highlighted. I think that's a really cool idea, especially the democratization of app developing, the low code, the no code kind of stuff. If everybody, part of everybody's job is to be an app creator, you're creating new capabilities for the company, not just like content, like a PowerPoint, but something new that can be done and some new insight that could be received. So I think that is really cool. For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Really need to dig deep and get to know the real you. In the real up close and personal. You know, at the end of these these podcasts, we typically ask a lighter, more personal question. And I understand that your passion is coding. Now clearly that's not part of your professional life anymore. But you love it, and you still do a lot on the weekends. Tell us about that. 
Look, I, I told my wife this when we were first married. I told her, you're mad and a workaholic. That's the only thing you need to know about. And that's been true in our 10 years of marriage. I, I love coding. I, coding is my form of creativity. I love creating apps and solutions. Many of them don't see the daylight just partly because of my schedule. Yeah. But there are times where I have built and launched apps in the store and they are still live and kicking with a fairly healthy usage rate. I built AI model, a named entity recognition engine just for fun a couple of months back where I took all of the resumes that are out and figured out what job and what skills are hot in the marketplace. Right. And it was just for fun. I, I blog personally on business, digital transformation, and code snippets. And that's what I do. I've most recently learned, obviously, I've most recently learned how to create a named entity recognition engine. Prior to that, I learned React Native. Prior to that, I, I learned React JS. Prior to that, I learned like Google Cloud and Firebase. And, and most recently, I learned a few elements of Azure because we are that's where we are beginning to making it our uh, enterprise cloud. Uh, again, I go back to what I said earlier in the past podcast. Learning is the single most important that thing that's going to differentiate. And my passion gives me the ability to learn. That learning helps me to apply that effectively at workplace. And that helps my company. And then that helps my profession. And it's a flywheel that I believe has created. Yeah, it's interesting how you're melding your professional life and your private life. And it's all one. And I think that's true for a lot of us. And the, the, the trick is how to balance the two. But it seems like you've got it. So I want to thank you so much. It's been a, it's been a really great conversation today. I, you have some big ideas about enterprises, which I think are really go way beyond your industry and way beyond technology. I really thought that one of your key insights today that I'll carry away is the idea of the business ecosystem. Even within companies or between companies, in the past, business leaders tended to think, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hoard my data. That's my source of power. And you said, yes, that is power, but they gain more power from sharing it. And I think that's a hard lesson for people to learn. But once they learn it, they and their organizations are going to be more successful for it. So thank you for that insight. Yeah. And Steve, thank you again. It was uh, fantastic catching up. Look, I'm very passionate about the journey that all these companies need to take to be a more autonomous enterprise. And I'm just humbled to be playing my part in it with Kraft Heinz. And I, every day I wake up thanking our leadership for giving me one, the opportunity to sharing a similar vision where, where they believe this is important for the company. That makes life a whole lot easier. Yeah. The Data Cloud World Tour is making 21 stops around the globe so you can learn about the latest innovations at Snowflake's Data Cloud at a venue near you. Join your fellow data leaders at one of our full day events to network with Snowflake customers and technology partners, attend educational breakout sessions, and learn how to drive more value from your data. Find an event near you at www.snowflake.com slash data dash cloud dash world dash tour.